This week's Game of Thrones rewatch is sponsored by our friends over at True Car, and they've got some helpful tips that you might not be aware of, like how a coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. You can not interior in, removing excess weight from your car can also improve its gas mileage, and you can hold your keychain remote up to your chin to help increase its range. Those are weird tips. Here's another tip that you might not know about. True Car can also help you get a used car as well. That's right. True Car isn't just for buying a new car. With the Certified Dealer Network and Nationwide Inventory, nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, you can see what other people paid. So you'll know if you're getting a good deal before you buy. And so you're more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience when you connect with a True Car Certified Dealer. So when you're ready to buy that new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Winter was here, but we are just getting started talking about Season 3, Episode 8 of Game of Thrones here on our Game of Thrones rewatch on Post Show Recaps. And now here are the two guys who are ready to debate a blink versus a wink. I am Rob Sussman here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? It's really fun watching uh, episodes of television and podcasting about them with Rob Sesternino because part of the fun for me before we begin a podcast is wondering, like, how are you going to transition into, like, introducing me and just like introducing us like what are you going to pull from the episode to be like our segue into it and I called it I knew it I knew it was going to be the wink or the blink it had to be the wink or the blink there was really nothing else that was, oh, that was kosher I thought it might have been a stretch <laughs> no, but no I thought it was yeah. good there's really nothing else above board I felt like I mean and now here are the two guys who uh, killed their captains and severed no. their heads and rolled them onto the <laughs> no. ground to express their loyalty <laughs> I don't think that really rolls yeah. off the tongue maybe roll on the floor yes uh, i was gonna do something about uh when Tyrion says that you know he's made a terrible joke to joffrey and we that's what the, really our department but uh no here we are we're ready to go here in uh episode eight of season three where we had a royal wedding this week on the show we got to see Tyrion and sansa tie the knot but not consummate a marriage no. uh, as much as to much to the chagrin of Tywin Lannister. Very disappointed about that. And then also we uh, saw a lot of business going on with the second sons over outside of you. Yeah. So a lot of stuff going on here in these episodes, but mostly uh, centered on uh, those two stories. And then we checked in with Sam and Gilly at the end and uh, a couple other things uh, here or there. But we did not see anything going on with uh, Rob Stark or his campaign or Jamie and a bunch of the other characters that we've been following here. in season Yeah. Three. And um, I think that Gendry, Gendry probably appreciates that you are yara yaring past what happened to him yes. at Dragonstone. Difficult, difficult mm-hmm. episode for Gendry. There's some R. And the hound action as well. And like you said, there's uh, Sam and Gilly. But otherwise, it is the second sons that we are focusing yeah, on. No brand this week. What so, a mercy, right? Uh, <laughs> a yes, mercy for yes. us. Okay. I guess uh, let's start with the royal wedding because uh, that was a big uh, stretch of the episode. Everything going on with Tyrion and Sansa in terms of uh, getting this uh, very reluctant wedding 
going. Josh, when I first watched this episode, I think I remember feeling some sympathy for Tyrion, but for whatever reason, upon this rewatch, I really felt a lot of sympathy for Sansa here in this episode because Tyrion makes the promise to her, I will never hurt you and they wouldn't do anything bad to her, but he kind of puts her in a very bad spot in this episode. Like, uh, really, she is almost, uh, you know, not being tortured physically, but is ready to die of embarrassment the entire yeah, day. Yeah, I think that that's right. I mean, listen, I feel bad for Tyrion when, like, the step stool is taken away by Joffrey. Like, that's a real jerk move. But Tyrion proceeds to get blackout drunk at his own wedding and, like, bad drunk, you know, to the point of, like, borderline Peter Dinklage is not doing a great job pretending to be this drunk drunk. You know what I mean? Like it's almost, mm. it's almost unrealistic and implausible just how drunk Tyrion Lannister is. We've certainly never seen him drunk, this drunk before. Um, and it's, it's mortifying for Sansa and he's not being like really like fully, I mean, he is kind of being verbally abusive at some points when he's like talking about like, I puked on somebody once, not proud of it, but right. that's what you got to look forward to tonight baby like it's just like it's not a good look uh so yeah i i my sympathy for for Tyrion was quite limited uh watching this episode and you just kind of you feel mortified for sansa the entire time yeah where the show has always presented Tyrion as he's a lush but is in control of what he's doing like maybe it's just that the stress has gotten to him so much that he is like uh just turning he's self-medicating through this whole situation and it brings out this uh really not so great side of him but where he starts this episode from a place where he takes Sansa's arm and says look I promise that I will be good to you and you know but this was not a great reflection of that yeah he says i'll never hurt you and then he proceeds to emotionally hurt her uh you know that Mm -hmm. very evening the very first night of their of their marriage together um so yeah already already uh if this if he is the worst um or if he's the the least offensive of the lannister options for sansa then it's still a really raw deal uh, because he's just he's not great he's not being sensitive to the fact that she is not only being married off to a Lannister but she was walked down the aisle by Joffrey yes. like the whole ordeal is so transparently awful for Sansa that if Tyrion really was good guy Tyrion like he said that he is uh, I think that he would be a little bit more in tune with what's going on with his 14 year old bride that's awful oh it's the whole <laughs> thing is just awful I love Joffrey when he was meeting up with Sansa and he like Sansa looks confused. He's like, oh, well, you, you don't have a father. Yeah, right? uh, I, I am the father of the yeah, realm. It's, uh, I shut love up, Joffrey. I love Joffrey <laughs> referring to himself as the father of the realm. I wish he would do Papa it more. Joff. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> better pizza, better ingredients. Papa Joffs. Uh, yeah, he's the father of the realm. And as the father of the realm, it's his duty to give her away to her husband. And you can tell. He is relishing this moment. He's like, so you married a Lannister after all. Uh, Yeah, he's a terrible, terrible human being, this guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. And 
there's a lot of uh, really amazing moments that go on during the whole royal wedding sequence. There is a long spiel that Cersei goes on when Marjorie is doing her Marjorie thing, which is uh, always impressive. And she's uh, like trying to warm Cersei up to her. And she sort of like uh, grabs her arm and calls her sister. And then Cersei does a whole retelling of the story of House Rain and then ultimately makes it uh, very clear in a very threatening manner that uh, she will have no issues doing the same thing to House Stark. Yeah, this is not Sansa Stark that Marjorie is dealing with. And we've seen Marjorie and Cersei interact before, and certainly behind closed doors, we've gotten Cersei's take on Marjorie, that she's not a big fan, and she can kind of see through the way that Marjorie is interacting with other people, um, and just like kind of, you know, really glad-handing the realm, really, and shining everybody on uh, so much so that they all look so radiant. I don't know. I just, that's the word that came to mind. Uh, and Cersei's not having any of it. And she, yeah, she goes into the whole history of House Reign of Castamere, uh, which is a name that maybe does not immediately ring any bells if you're just watching Game of Thrones for the first time, but that's the, the song that the Lannisters love to sing. And we've heard it and we heard it in Blackwater. We've heard it referenced a couple of times this season. And Cersei's giving the backstory on that about how this was like the second wealthiest family in the realm and they were coming for the Lannisters and the Lannisters just completely wiped these people off of the earth and now they are the stuff of legend and Cersei still remembers seeing the bodies of the reigns of Castamere hanging and she promises Marjorie, if you ever call me sister again I will have you strangled in your sleep um, dark wings dark words Rob Sesternino <laughs> yeah although I'd rather be strangled in my sleep than strangled awake, to be honest. Yeah, I feel like the part of the strangling in your sleep, unless you're really deep sleeper, you're going to wake up, I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a rude awakening. I guess like if the preference is like I was awake for the whole thing. Sure, I guess I'd rather have some some sleep first. Mm -hmm. So the wedding is, uh, you know, a whole big thing going on in the Sept of Baylor. Everybody is there. We have the moment after Joffrey walks Sansa down the aisle. He takes Tyrion's stool away, which really, I mean, Joffrey is an evil genius to even be thinking that far ahead of like, oh, that's the prank I'm going to pull. He should be a a maester. Only maesters are supposed to collect stool. Uh, But Tyrion, he's uh, he's not able to wrap his cloak around Sansa and everybody is laughing because of the height difference and Sansa's really she could have helped well, him out I don't know too, like yeah. do you get the sense that like she she knows what's going on like I think that she's probably like so in her head and so nervous that she's kind of just focused on surviving the the like the you know the physical engagement uh, of you mm. know getting married to this guy and Tyrion's like not piping up and being like um hey until it's way too late uh so they both have to suffer some embarrassment uh, as a result. Mercifully, that's all we have to see if the ceremony is just like him getting over that and getting, you know, Sansa you know, bends down and gets the cloak draped around her. And we hear, you know, the start of the ceremony, one flesh, one heart, one soul now and forever. But they spare us the rest of the details and we just get to go straight to the after party. 
Okay, so let's bounce around to the highlights from the party. The next time we see them, Tyrion is now very drunk to the point where uh, Tywin needs to step in and try to get him to sober up because he has a very important job to do. He needs to put a Lannister baby inside yeah, him. Yeah, you need to be able to perform, uh, Tywin tells Tyrion. And Tyrion assures him that's not going to be an issue. Don't worry. You know, I'm a drunken little lust-filled beast like you've always said uh, he's like drinking yeah. and lust nobody can match me in these things i am the god of quote-unquote tits and wine uh and so he's really he's sloshed he's obviously just um completely uh through the roof like he's drunk in a way that you know few people should ever come even you know within the spitting distance of how drunk this guy is yeah and then from there we see lady elena she is trying to figure out the very complicated and dare i use the word uh incestuous <laughs> relationship yeah. between all of the players here in joffrey marjorie uh cersei loris uh how everybody's gonna be related to everybody yeah, the horn hills have eyes like there is uh some some uh some very intricate relationships within house lannister um speaking of the tyrells maybe the best scene to me of the entire wedding sequence is so after like Tyrion is getting you know blasted by his father and blasted by the wine as well uh tywin goes away and Tyrion sees loris he's up in the battle balcony and he raises a glass to Loris and the scene transitions to Loris and you're getting this feeling at this moment just like structurally the way that the episode is playing that the wedding is really going to be a huge part of it and we're going to see a lot of scenes within this greater scene uh, and so now we're shifting to Loris and he goes to Cersei and you think like this really long and drawn out moment between the two of them is going to occur as Cersei is like staring out at the moonlight over the Blackwater mm-hmm. Bay and Loris goes to her to like you know like try Try and break the ice because they're engaged and neither of them want to be. And he says, you know, my father once told me and Cersei immediately goes, nobody cares what your father once told you. Yes. And she walks away and that's the end of the moment. <laughs> it's so fast. Yep. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> no respect for uh, a good Mace Tyrell story. No. Like, like Rodney Dangerfield, Mace Tyrell was never able to get any respect. <laughs> Even his yes. stories, nobody cares about them. Yeah. All right. So uh, I thought this was interesting that uh, Cersei, a- after she already told off Marjorie, she tells Joffrey, like, uh, you need to go and, uh, you know, talk to your queen. And Joffrey is like, oh, there's plenty of time for that later. Yeah. And so then he wants to just go and mess with Tyrion still. Yeah, he still wants to mess with Tyrion. He wants to mess with Sansa as well. Like mm-hmm. he's, you know, I mean, I don't think that it should be a massive surprise. Like I think that Marjorie has done a great job of ingratiating herself with Joffrey and kind of like playing into what his sensibilities and his proclivities seem to be. Um, but that can only take you so far. Like Joffrey really does prefer sadism to everything uh, as seen with how he treated Roz or at least the aftermath we were allowed to see. Um, so I don't think it's a huge shock that on this night Joffrey is in a position of power over two of his least favorite people and most favorite playthings to torment uh, and so he is going to act accordingly and he corners Sansa and he's like oh dream come true you married a Lannister this is so great I guess it doesn't matter which Lannister gives you a baby and he's you know threatening to to rape her that very evening 
thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, like, he tries to, like, launch into the bedding ceremony, which is, like, a, a custom in Westeros, which is very backwards among the many backwards customs in this kingdom. Uh, and Tyrion is really not having it. He can't even put up appearances yeah. with Joffrey today. Well, it's interesting, though, that Joffrey, uh, you know, threatens to come in in the night and then uh, have uh, uh, Marin Trant hold down Sansa so that he can be the one to impregnate Sansa. You know, you never hear Joffrey really talk about anything that is lustful, uh, but here that because he can torment somebody right. with that, it seems uh, appetizing. I him. think that's the thing. Yeah, I think it's less about like he's uh, like excited about a sex act and it's more like this right. is an extraordinary opportunity to completely butcher somebody uh and that's that's the thing that that gets joffrey baratheon going because he is the worst <laughs> yeah all right so uh, Tyrion does not want the bedding ceremony to begin and uh he ends up uh getting angry with joffrey and talks about how that uh joffrey will need a potentially a wooden apparatus uh at some point Appendage. to ever bed his own wife yeah and he like slams a knife down on the table and like looks very menacing as he says that uh and the whole room just like the, the everybody's just very quiet it's very very tense immediately it's very uncomfortable uh and there's a lot of this in the zeitgeist of game of thrones at this point uh, that danny ended up saying to one of the second sons that she was going to have him gelded right. uh we saw last week with theon getting gelded uh, only, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i mean uh that we see uh egret talk about this a lot with Jon snow of what she's gonna do with wearing him, around so. me neck <laughs> yeah season three it's really just the season of castration yeah. i mean you had i believe earlier this season where varus retold the story of how he was cut so uh this is uh v- very much yeah. on the minds of almost every character in game of thrones at and this in point. this very episode gendry is going to have a leech in a place that he is going to yeah. be begging not to have the leech <laughs> like, not there not there <laughs> anywhere yeah. but there uh, yeah. yeah it's very much uh front of mind here uh in season three of game of thrones Okay, so eventually, after the very awkward confrontation between uh, Joffrey and Tyrion, okay, aha, it was a joke. Uh, We see Tyrion lead Sansa out. Uh, We have that conversation that you mentioned about how uh, Tyrion once vomited on a woman in the act. Uh, Sansa gets upstairs, and for her part, you know, she is going to uh, go through. She know what is uh, what is being asked of her. She begins to undress. And Tyrion says, no, no, we're not we're not doing this. Says, I can't. I mean, I could, but I won't. Uh, you know, that's mm-hmm. like he has to like even like throw that out there. If like, I mean, I could do it. It's not an issue if I can't, uh, but I won't. It's like, OK, Tyrion, mm-hmm. pat yourself on the back, buddy. Uh, not a great look for Tyrion Lannister in this episode. Uh, he has a great line, though, and I uh, I'll, I'll censor it. But he says, if my father wants someone to get effed, I know where he can start. Uh, that's funny. You know, just like, you know, literally just saying F yourself to Tywin Lannister. I think that's funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he yeah. says, I won't share your bed, Sansa, not until you want me to. And Sansa says, what if I never want you to? And uh, Tyrion gets this. Uh, this ridiculous look on his face as he toasts to her and says, and so my watch begins. Mm-hmm. 
And then the next morning, Shay comes in and she comes in with a tray and like slams it down on the table. And she's brought some uh, room service up to the room. And then she goes and starts like uh, checking the bed sheets like a crazy person. I don't know why Sansa doesn't have her fired on the spot. It's like uh, you are out of control. Handmaiden. She's changing the sheets. She's doing her job. <laughs> she's like uh, ripping the sheets out of the bed. What if Sansa wanted to sleep? In. Yeah, it is their wedding. Uh, the you know the morning after their wedding, I feel like they get to sleep in until noon at least. You know, I think that should be an yeah, option. You would think yeah. so? It's like ripping the sheets right off the bed and like uh, like uh, storming in and out of there. Like uh, you know, check yourself. Shay. Yeah, I think the thing though is there's no intercom, there's no cell phones, there's no email, there's no. I, I don't know if they've got like the the sign that they can put up on their door handle of "Do not disturb" or "Please fill out this breakfast order for us for the morning." So I think in uh, King's Landing they're just erring on the side of if you're going to be hungry, you're probably hungover, you're going to want some breakfast. But they could leave a tray outside the door would probably yeah. be my now, preference just as a as a regular hotel guest. Well, I mean, far be it from me to talk about professions outside of my own, but I believe that the hand servant knock is a little bit like hey Good morning, guys. Uh, it's just, I mean, Shay is just, she's terrible at her job. She's not great, but I mean, admittedly, she's not great. You know, she's, uh, she's, uh, <laughs> talked about that herself of like, I'm, I'm bad at this. Like, this is not my thing. I'm not, uh, you know, mm. and like Sansa caught it very quickly in their, in their relationship with each other. So I think that, you know, yeah. Sansa likes Sansa's Shay because she, she's got other problems and Shay gives her real talk. So I think that that's, that's probably she's more too real. She's too a real. A little too real. Yeah. And uh, not yeah. for nothing. Can't imagine Sansa slept especially well. I don't think Sansa's been sleeping especially well uh, since she's come to King's Landing. So, you know, maybe she's an early riser and ready for breakfast. But Shay finds no visible evidence to see that uh, this marriage has been consummated. So uh, she ends up like uh, Tyrion, like uh, gives her a wink. Are you sure it's not a blink? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's what's going on in uh, King's Landing in this episode. Uh, let's so we'll stay in Westeros and then we'll go to everything in the east at the yeah, end. Yeah, I think just while we're on the subject of the wink and the blink, I think we can just, you know, the very next scene after um, Tyrion and Sansa uh, receive Shay as a, as a breakfast uh, guest, uh, we end the episode with a, with a scene with Sam and Gilly. They're still north of the wall. They uh, they debate the, the, phil- the philosophical debate of whether a wink and a blink are the same thing. Uh, Gilly says a wink is on purpose. That's the the key defining separation between a wink and a blink. That makes sense to me. I don't know about about for you. I think that that I disagree. Oh, interesting. I disagree. Interesting. A blink is two eyes. A wink is one eye. I don't think it has to do with intentional. I think that you can, uh, you can unintentional wink. wink. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I would I would just think of that as like a like a twitch. You know, it's like the mm. I think the, the one eyed blink is like kind of like you don't you don't mean to do that. That's just something that's kind of involuntarily happening. Um, whereas a wink feels like you're really kind of just like you're trying to clue somebody into something, you know, whether that's like a, a joke or uh, just an acknowledgement or something like that. Um, we don't need to get hung up in the details. 
Okay, yeah, let us know on uh, Twitter what you think, uh, whose side you're yeah. on, whether the wink or the blink is determined by number of eyes or intentionality. Well, I think that the wink agency, the wink certainly is a one-eyed act, but I also believe that it has agency. Okay, so it has to be with one eye and it has to be intentional. Yeah, I think so. Okay, all right. So they end up sort of like camping out somewhere. They find kind of like an abandoned hut, and they end up uh, going in there. Like shack, place. you know, it's like a yeah. secret shack somewhere, staked out somewhere else in the in the wilderness. Yeah, there's a couple of funny parts in this uh, dialogue between Sam and Gilly. They're talking about names for the baby. Sam is rattling off different names. Uh, he gets to some uh, Felden. He wants yeah, to go. <laughs> I got Felden and Christopher. Christopher, yeah. Christopher is potentially the most Game of Thrones name that you could possibly come up with. Yeah. Where like everything is like vaguely recognizable in our culture, but just like slightly twisted a little bit where like, uh, Warren would be spelled W-A-R-R-Y-N or, yeah. you know, just like the slight twist and or Christopher. Like Nichol with an N. <laughs> Right, right, right. But that also has a Y uh, following the N, of course. But I like Tristopher. I mean, I wrote it down as T R I S T O F E R. But I mean, Tristopher, like, even there, like, you could spell it C H and you just pronounce Tristopher. Either way, hilarious. I thought Tristopher was great. And spoiler alert, as far as I recall, there are no Tristophers on Game of Thrones. That feels like a big missed opportunity. Yeah. And then I like that Gilly threw out Craster. That's the name. And Sam's like, "Ah." I don't think you want to go with that. I know that's the only male name you've known since Sam. But uh, yeah. And then like they start talking. I've always been partial to the name Craster. (laughs) What do you think of that, Mama? No, that's why he doesn't have, he doesn't allow uh, the baby boys to continue on. I've always hated my name. It's my secret shame. I can't have Craster Jr. I want him to be named Felden. <laughs> or Christopher. Yeah. Christopher's keep has a certain ring to it. Uh, yeah. Uh, they get into talking about both of their dads and how uh, Sam's father is named Randall, Randall Tarley. Uh, and he is cruel, but not cruel not like Craster. Different, yeah. Different, 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 different manner of cruel. Uh, and he's like, please don't name your son after my dad. That would be, that would be awful. Randall's yeah. a nice name you know but randall cunningham sure randall quaid (laughs) so uh they hear something outside sam goes out to go check out what it is and uh there is uh, a ton of crow these crows just have appeared uh oh you know they're just like flocking to this tree and uh, I thought that the, the crows are uh, interesting because I feel like that that uh, that I don't really understand the connection there. I feel like that we have not seen that imagery before uh, associated with the white showing up. But right here he is and he wants a baby. He wants your baby. Yeah, he's come for the baby and Sam. uh Good on Sam, you know, for the for the guy who has been so craven this whole time. He shows up sword in hand and like he's going to do what he has to do. Probably not very well, but he's willing to, you know, to stand his ground in this moment. Of course, the White Walker grabs the sword by the blade and shatters shatters it it to millions of pieces instantly. But I feel like a for effort in the initial stand. Yeah. 
And so then he like throws Sam to the side and then makes a beeline for Gilly and the baby. And then Sam pulls out that dagger. That's the same dagger that he found at the Fist of the First Men and ends up putting it into the White's back. And guess what? He explodes. Yeah, he shatters. He like uh, he becomes ice, and then just like sort of like blows away in the snow. Um, and this is cool. Uh, we've seen like the the whites, like the zombies. We've seen them succumb to like fire before, but uh, I don't think that we've seen a White Walker itself get. A, taken on in battle, you know, we've seen, you know, in that very first scene of the whole Game of Thrones, we watched what they were able to do to some rangers. We saw the extent of this army at the end of season two. But now we're seeing a single White Walker in battle and we're seeing that maybe like there is something that you could do to actually fight these guys. So maybe put that feather in your, in your cap for, for future reference. That being said, Sam and Gilly then proceed to run away Mm -hmm. and he leaves the dagger behind. Oh, that wasn't a good idea. He just left it on the ground. Yeah. What what are you doing? Not great. Why? Yeah. I know you're scared, but take the freaking dagger. (laughs) Did he have a couple of them though? I think he only had the one, but maybe he had more. I don't know. Yeah. Even if he had like five, you want the sixth. Yeah. Just in case. Josh, what was with the Ravens? I mean, in terms of then, and then the Ravens started chasing them. I'd be more scared of like a uh, hundred Ravens chasing me than one white Walker. Hey, how about this? One white. Let's, let's talk about the Ravens in the spoiler okay, section. Okay, We'll get to that. Tease, right. little tease. All right. That being said, Josh, uh, Aria ends up waking up in this episode and uh, she is with the hound. She's not happy about it, that she's going to try to drop a rock on his head. He says, uh, I'll give you one shot at that girl. And uh, so she decides not to. But she finds out that the hound actually has uh, good intentions, wants to take her back to her mom and her brother at the twins. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like it's out of the goodness of his heart. You know, it's a job. He thinks that he's going to get paid good money for it. Um, but nevertheless, like this is a turn of fortune for for Arya, who has been um, separated from her family for so long now. And now she has the promise of being reunited with them pretty soon. So that's exciting. This is a, this is great news for Arya Stark. Yeah. And he mentions that he actually saved Sansa and she is reluctant to believe him. Yeah, it's like when you see her next time, make sure to ask. Yeah, because like I was really, really cool to Sansa Stark. Ask her about that. Okay, Uh, last week we saw Gendry and Melisandre sailing for Dragonstone. They have made it now. And so we uh, see a little bit of Melisandre talking with Stannis about her plans for what they're going to do with Gendry and how uh, this is going to be a sacrifice. Yeah. Because Stannis is not super impressed with Gendry. Not a big fan. It doesn't seem like, well, it's not a surprise too, because I think he has no love for his own brother. Uh, and so to see like his brother's bastard child here, I don't think he's especially excited. Yeah. But maybe he's just fronting with Melisandre because Stannis goes and visits Davos down in the jail cells and tries to tell Davos that he's free. But Davos, again, uh, he's a guy who, you know, hits on 19 at the blackjack table, tries to tell Stannis, look, I got to tell you this. uh, And you put me in jail last time I said this. I got to say it again that this red woman, this is no good. This is a bad idea. 
Yeah, you know, he's like, you really have no regard for your own life, do you, Davos? <laughs> like, yeah, basically none. Uh, but he's he's not going to tell Stannis what Stannis wants to hear. He's going to tell Stannis what he feels Stannis needs to hear. I actually really liked this scene. I'd kind of forgotten about it. I think this is one of the best scenes between Davos and Stannis so far, where Stannis comes down to the jail and is, you know, talking to Davos. He's there to set him free, and Davos calls it out. He's like, you could have come yesterday, you could have come tomorrow, but you came today while that boy is still alive because you want to hear what I have to say about that and there's just a way that Stephen Delane the actor who plays Stannis just like carries that character in that scene where he still kind of has that I will break before I bend quality to him but there is like this kind of quiet reluctance to him I just I really liked the way that these two actors played it out and just this this meeting of the minds here and obviously he is um, compelled enough to listen to his old consigliere uh, to a reinstate him and B, they stop short of killing Gendry. Um, but Melisandre, as she tells Gendry later on, she's like, You can thank Davos for the leeches. Like, I would have just slit your throat, uh, <laughs> but Davos wanted you to live. So you have to have a leech in your place that you don't want that leech to be hanging out. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about that scene with Melisandre and Gendry. Uh, they have a very awkward conversation about the Bola Brown uh, that they make back in uh, Flea Bottom, and uh, love that Bola Brown. Yeah, good stuff. What the ingredients were, and so uh, Melisandre is uh, seducing Gendry, and she ends up disrobing. She ends up getting him on the bed, and basically says, uh, "You know, come fight death with me." Like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. But ultimately, she ends up tying him down to the bed. And now uh, we are at uh, Fifty Shades of Greyjoy here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, not quite. That, not that quite. was last week, that I believe. Week. Yeah, Fifty Flays of Greyjoy. <laughs> yeah. And so she ends up, uh, she's got like it all set up where uh, she gets like, uh, it's like a noose ready for his hands and a noose ready for his feet. And he's bound to the bed. And Gendry is like, okay, this is going like really well. He's, I think, uh, very happy. This is like a uh, letter to the penthouse forum so far. But then right. <laughs> here come the leeches. Penthouse house. Yeah. Uh, the leeches come out and it is, it is no good. Yeah. It is bad. There's a leech on his chest. There's a leech on like his abs. Mm-hmm. And then you use your imagination for where the third leech goes. And again, she's like, please, no, don't do that. Echoing the audience in a very major way. Mm-hmm. Now, what happened to the whole, when you slaughter the lamb, you never let the lamb sl- see the blade because the panic spoils the meat. I mean, what, what, what is this? What is this? <laughs> the guy is screaming. Yeah, I believe uh, the phrase tainted meat comes to mind. <laughs> okay. So I like your interpretation of this. So you, so you say that Stannis went to go talk to Davos and that's where the leeches came into play. I had thought that Stannis, after talking to Davos, that's where they sort of like uh, kick the door in and say, hey, party's over. Right. No, I think it's Melisandre would have killed Gendry and Davos wants to have like proof of of, uh, concept, you know, like show me that the king's blood is actually going to do some stuff. Uh, And Melisandre's like, oh, fine. All right. Um, And thinking that through a little further, like. If if 
if Melisandre is confident that just leeching some blood from Gendry is going to afford them like some fairly powerful magic, like they're throwing these leeches into the fire and Stannis is announcing the names of three people that are his enemies. So you imagine that he is, uh, he is pitching something that is going to be at the very least, very harmful to these three men. Um, then why not just like leech this guy indefinitely? Like mm-hmm. you've got like a, this like, you know, never, ending gobstopper of king's blood like why not just keep sucking on that thing yeah it was impressive that uh, these leeches with gendry's blood are now exploding leeches they, they should have had some of these at uh, blackwater that was gross right <laughs> like the final shot of like the third and final leech that gets thrown in there for joffrey baratheon it just like blows up you're just like oh yeah <laughs> so gross yeah i think we know where that leech was <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was the joffrey <laughs> makes sense makes sense yes yes, yes. Uh, and the three names that we are given rob, rob stark balon Greyjoy, and joffrey baratheon so yeah uh yeah. that's uh that's the uh dark magic that we see from the lord of light here this week uh let's talk about what is going on with danny it's a big danny episode of everything that's going on with the second sons showing up to yunkai and we see in the beginning of the episode like danny and jorah and uh sir barristan are sort of like incognito i like that they're like wearing a disguise so they they they're in their like tatooine clothes (laughs) just to bring tatooine back into the conversation but like you can imagine getting like the hasbro action figures of like daenerys in tatooine disguise mm-hmm. and so they're trying to spy on what's going on and they see the second sons who are a bunch of cell swords there's two thousand of them they work for the yunkish and so they are in the city but Danny is going to uh, meet with the head of the second sons and his name is marrow yeah marrow of bravos mark marrow I don't know. Okay. We don't know what it is. It's Mark with uh, three R's, though. Yeah. <laughs> Seven K's. Yes. And he is a uh, huge douche canoe, right? This guy sucks. <laughs> this guy is terrible. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's got a tongue that gives uh, Angela Perkins a run for her money in terms of like this guy just won the gross food eating challenge. Yeah. And so he's also he's got two buddies uh, with him that are sort of the uh, we have this the, like the older guy. What was his name? Uh, Prendel Nagesen. <laughs> yeah. And a lieutenant named Dario Naharis. Yeah, who is incredibly uh, handsome and beautiful and recognizable and instantly iconic. <laughs> Yeah. And so uh, Mero, he's got like a one track mind. Uh, he is telling Danny to uh, take her clothes off that he tries to like uh, sniff Missandei's, uh crotch like he's a Labrador. Uh, yeah, was, uh, that, that was a weird move. Yes, it was not great. Uh, he's very focused on just carnal pleasures and uh, is talking about uh, things that have happened uh, to his butt, to other people's butts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He really seems to be into butts. Yeah. No ifs or ands. No. And so the Danny tries to negotiate with him. Uh, she is uh, really not into it. She ends up telling Sir Barristan that if it comes down to it in the battlefield, kill that guy first. 
And Marison's like, yes, a hundred percent. Yes. Everybody Very happily. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. polling at zero percent with yes, he's terrible. The, uh, Daenerys camp. And so we'll see those guys then. Uh, they will discuss uh, later on uh, what exactly they're going to do. And there's some debate over how to handle it. But uh, Marrow feels like that somebody should go and sneak into Daenerys's camp and kill her in the night. Right. And so they're going to draw coins, I guess. They've got three different coins, a coin from Bravos, a coin from Murine, and a coin from Volantis. The Bravosi does the deed. And they have a woman who is there with the coins and they're like pulling the coins from her hand. What's curious about this to me is like the the coins are all very specifically shaped. Yes. So I, so I feel like this is a very easy one to game. <laughs> the fix I, was in. The yeah. Bravosi coin is a square. Yeah, yeah, it's not like the short straw, right? Like, you know, it's you could really figure out which coin is which. And so do these guys do like Marrow and the other dude whose name I don't remember, uh, do they not want to do the deed? So they're like very actively trying to avoid the Bravosi coin? Because I feel like Marrow seems like the type at least to he he would have loved this assignment. Yeah, you would think so. I don't even understand how anybody got into Danny's camp around 8,000 Unsullied. Like, how was this possible? I think it is a sign of how awesome Dario Naharis is, clearly. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you feel like that maybe the Unsullied were told to be on the lookout for Dario Naharis, and then this guy ended up walking through and nobody recognized him? Yeah, I think that might be that might be right. Um, the other thing, too, is so Dario is going to win the Bravosi coin. Uh, he's going to get to go off. He says Valor Morghulis uh, mm-hmm. before he does. And when he shows up, he shows up while Daenerys is having a bath, while Missandei is very gently informing Daenerys that her Dothraki is garbage, uh, which is funny. She's like, yeah, you're not quite as good at Dothraki as you think you are. Your Valyrian is great, but your Dothraki requires some work. Mm-hmm. Missandei, who speaks 19 languages by the way very impressive this is the c3po of game of thrones indeed uh definitely on the brains tribe and so dario sneaks in and he's wearing like an unsullied uh uniform in order to sneak in ah that move right you know again like aren't you a little short for an unsullied or a little tall perhaps uh what happened to that Unsullied? Yeah, well, I think we know the answer to that question. You know, and like Dario is going to be accepted with open arms. But like, what about the one Unsullied? What happened to that guy? Yeah. All right. Well, that's a sad story. But ultimately, you know, he kind of plays this uh, very slow where I think that he should have come in immediately and explained what was going on. Was not, you know, he, how did he know that, uh, you know, Sir Barristan wasn't like uh, waiting to uh, slit his throat that he had like he got caught a very lucky break that Danny happened to be alone with just Missandei. Uh, because Dario likes the slow monologue and Dario Naharis does whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. He's the simplest man you'll ever meet. He only does what he wants to do. Yeah. And so that he ends up taking Misande by knife point and then ultimately lets her go, says don't scream and says that he had philosophical differences with the other guy and then uh, dumped their heads out. 
and never have you been happier to see a severed head on Game of Thrones than Marrow of Bravos, who only we only had to suffer two scenes with that guy. So that's great. <laughs> I feel bad for the other guy. Other guy seemed like relatively reasonable, yeah. uh, relatively level headed and now uh, severed headed. Seemed kind of cool. But anyway, yeah. so Dane says, well, why would I trust you? You killed your friends. It's like, yeah, because they wanted to kill you. And I think that you're great. So mm-hmm. I want to hang out with you. So you should hang out with me. And she's okay. like, oh, well, yes, that makes sense. All right. That's good enough for her. <laughs> the second sons are going to fight for Danny now. And now uh, Dario Naharis's heart belongs to Danny. Yeah. My sword is yours. My life is yours. Easy. My heart is yours. This is an ironclad contract that shall never be broken. My specific likeness shall always belong to you. Okay. Uh, Josh, anything else from the episode? No, let's go straight to the spoiler section. Okay, here we go. Let's talk about spoilers from Second Sons. And so immediately in season four, Dario, Dario Naharis is played by a completely different actor. Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> this guy is not good. This, this guy, guy is not good. <laughs> I will say, I think this guy is hotter than, uh, than new Dario. I feel like we've talked about this yes. before. I feel like we've debated yes, this before. I know, I know. Uh, you know, if you were not able to scramble away from the spoiler section in time, like I don't feel like this is a big one. Just in fact, it's, I think it's fair to warn you that they recast this guy, you know, this, <laughs> This guy is not going to be this actor. Ed screen is going to be leaving the screen very soon as uh, Michael Huseman uh, takes on the part of Dario Naharis. So uh, you should probably just be warned in advance that Dario is going to like take a hard turn for the Jamie right. Lannister in season. And four. he's not even in the next episode, right? I think he is. They, yeah, if it's not the next episode, it's the finale. Yeah. Uh, Cause they got to do like the Yunkish operation, but, right. um, but he's not in uh reigns of Castamere, right? I don't remember if I, I don't remember how they split that episode up. I know that there's stuff outside of uh, the Red Wedding uh, okay. going on in that episode, so it's possible. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> see you later, guy. <laughs> okay. All, All right. right. Um, so uh, spoiler wise, do you have uh, much to say here about this Danny storyline? No, not really. Um, you know, I think that that was really the big one is they're going to completely replace this actor for whatever reason. Uh, I think Ed screen thought he had other, uh, career options. He briefly stars in the transporter. Was that the Jason Statham movie? I think he made like an origin story for, for that. Like the prequel, he played Jason Statham. They recast him. He was Francis, the bad guy in Deadpool. Mm. If you you remember that. Yeah. 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 Don't, don't forget his name. Call him Francis. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So he's done some stuff, but I feel like turning your back on Game of Thrones prematurely is uh, is a, it's a a bold show of confidence, but I guess this guy only does what he wants to do. He's the simplest man you'll ever meet. He walked out on Game of Thrones and not vice versa. I would expect so. I mean, this is a pretty big character. It's not like the most important character by any stretch of the imagination, but Dario is uh, a key player in the Daenerys storyline for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't think that it would have been Game of Thrones' preference to have to recast that role. I thought that it was that they just didn't feel like he was working. 
I don't know, because he certainly measures up to this is a debate. Uh, I think that he is he is more like Book Dario than the guy that they end up going with for the rest of the show, though neither of them are quite Book Dario, especially because neither of them have blue hair, which is a big sticking point for a lot of people. But I think would have looked very odd, sort of like the the blue savior in the Walking Dead finale. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think that. I think that there is a quality to him that is a little more roguish. That's a little more playful. The Dario that we get moving forward is a lot more like down the line is a a little more even keeled. And I don't think that that's really the guy. Um, So I think that they were, I I feel like they were happy with him. And I think that he just like ghosted on him. Oh, interesting. interesting. Maybe not. But I don't know. Yeah, I think that it's hard to get the answer on this. It, like, we need to like wait for the uh, Game of Thrones uh, b- tell-all book to come out. Yeah, yeah. I think that that would be that would be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, the greatest mystery of Game of Thrones is why the Dario switch up. Just like you know, I mean, look, they've had three mountains, so you know, what's two Dario's? Yeah, can't wait for a song of ice and fire and fury. The Game of Thrones <laughs> tell all book of behind the scenes. Yeah, inside the Red Keep. Yes. All right. Uh, let's go back to our big wedding scene again. Uh, this is the uh, first of back-to-back wedding weeks on Game of Thrones. Yes. And this wedding will by far be the more pleasant of the two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Savor the flavor. Yeah, I mean, like this a, is a Game of Thrones like wedding. Nobody wine. died. Yeah, no one's dead. Everyone is. I mean, people have died of embarrassment, yeah. but nobody has literally lost their lives. Uh, so you know, laugh it out now before next week where... It's gonna be bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, one thing that I loved, obviously, speaking of the Red Wedding, is a really good setup for the Red Wedding in this episode, in this Marjorie and Cersei scene, where Cersei is, you know, putting Marjorie down by warning her about the story of the reigns of House Castamere, uh, or House Reign of, of Castamere. Um, and it's nice to have that reminder because that song is going to be the cue to start the Red wedding you know to put the red in the red wedding um next week i think that the show has been really clever about like dropping references to that song and to that story so that it's like kind of like subliminally baked into your expectations of what's coming up even if you don't know what's coming up that you can recognize that as a lannister tune um so that next week when it plays in that context you'll feel what catlin is feeling you're like uh wait a minute that's not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't sound like a positive, cheerful tune. Not at all. I mean, nice to see the Coldplay guy up there, but why is he playing a Lannister song? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the, as the uh, wedding progresses, uh, what else uh, struck you? Um, not a, I guess not a ton. I mean, one thing that I think is worth talking about is, you know, last week we spent a good amount of time discussing like, could Tyrion and Sansa be, uh, like a, a marriage at the end of the story of Game of Thrones? Like, is that something you could see? And thematically, it makes a lot of sense to like bring the Starks and Lannisters closer together. And if they can make peace, don't we all have a chance? Uh, but I I have to say after watching this episode, like I'm already like out on my own idea. Like, like I like Tyrion is such a jerk in this episode. I, I really do not care for this dynamic at all. Uh, 
so I guess I, I didn't remember it being quite as as rough as it is here. But this is a horrible start to that marriage. <laughs> it's awful, awful, awful. Uh, so like I'm I'm like not like today I am not shipping it. You know, last week I was shipping it. This week I'm I'm pretty far out. Uh, so we'll have to see like what their future scenes are like together. Uh, I don't imagine it's going to be especially pleasant. So I don't know. Maybe I'm out on that theory. <laughs> okay. So uh, I, I think there's actually a lot to talk about with uh, some of the other things that we see in this episode. Uh, let's touch on Sam and Gilly and what's going on here with uh, the white and what's going on here with these ravens. Uh, we see that they are parked outside a weirwood tree and right. one raven shows up and then another raven shows up. I mean, uh, were these the ravens that Sam lost back at the Fist of the First Men? <laughs> oh, I found you. Uh, yeah, come back that's, to me. that's very funny. Um, I mean, potentially maybe, but I think like the bigger question is, is like, is this the three eyed raven, you know, controlling these ravens to basically be like, hey, Sam Tarly, White Walker coming your way. Wake up, wake up, wake up. This is a, you know, a five star alarm. Oh, that's interesting. It's about to get real. That was kind of my interpretation of it um, on the rewatch of like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, the, the freaking tree wizard is trying to get Sam to like not die here because he, you know, maybe with the, with the extent of what we have seen with green sight and everything. And we know, that um you know part of brand's journey in the future one of the important things that the three-eyed raven is trying to show him was the birth of Jon snow and that he is a secret targaryen and sam is going to arrive at some of that information himself and he's going to help um you know confirm those details for brand is it possible that like the three-eyed raven sees this in sam's future and potentially even sees more in sam's future if sam really is some sort of like end game critically important player that the three-eyed raven is trying to give sam the heads up here so that he doesn't die on this night no that's really uh i like that yeah how about that sometimes i have interesting things to say because sam has the dragon glass and that's going right. to be important to yeah. ultimately how they're going to start making these weapons so uh, a lot of good stuff uh there with uh sam and gilly do we see them again this season yeah, I think so. Um, I think that Sam, I think they got to get to Castle Black. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing like massively memorable. Oh, don't they? He does the, he and, and Bran are like uh, ships they, in the they, night in the finale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. Uh, Josh, uh, let's quickly go back to Arya and her time uh, with the Hound. Do you think that when Arya and Sansa had their reunion, do you think that they compared notes on the Hound? No, I think that's still in the offing. Uh, hopefully, you know, I mean, all of these characters are about to like get thrown into the same room together. Uh, and I feel like, um, like Arya, Sansa, the Hound and Brienne. That's a fun dinner party. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to that in season eight. Okay. And then uh, they'll say like, uh, hey, is it true that he saved you once? Like, yeah, he was like, uh, you know, and then you tried to kill him. You left him for yeah. dead. Sansa's so like, hey, you know, he did save me, but he was also a little pervy mm-hmm. uh, on like the last night I saw him. So like, don't like, you know, congratulate yourself too much, Sandor. Yeah. All right. 
let's talk about what's going on with the uh, Gendry and Melisandre and Stannis of it all, because uh, there are a couple of interesting uh, things here. Before we get back to the Gendry part of it, the conversation that Davos and Stannis have about the difference between sacrifice and killing someone. Yeah, uh, this does become especially poignant when we know where this is going in regards to Stannis's daughter, Shireen, who Davos and up becoming very close with and Davos is so against this idea of just killing Gendry who he doesn't know from anything right but I think that he he, yeah he doesn't like any of this sacrificing business to begin with Um, but I think that's exactly right like Stannis is going to now have a benchmark for how Davos reacts in the face of decisions like this so it makes a lot of sense for Stannis to turn Davos away from his camp in season five when he is going to sacrifice his own daughter because he's going to have his mind made up at that point and he's going to know how Davos is going to feel about it. So this guy cannot be around. Now, he's going to say to Davos about why he believes in Melisandre. I saw the great battle in the snow. What battle in the snow did he see? Did he see his army sort of like getting the jump on the wildlings that we'll see? I believe uh, is that the uh, beginning of season five uh, is it that he sees his forces fighting against the Bolton forces a battle that his forces are going to ultimately lose right. or does he see what's going on with the Night King although he wouldn't see himself or any Baratheon forces fighting in the snow in those battles I think it's you know the thing about Melisandre and the visions is like she sees stuff, but her interpretation is off. Uh, so it's like, it's like, I imagine it that she's like looking at, uh, like, uh, scenes from the next season on the big white walker war uh, and like it's all out of context stuff that like you're making assumptions on how it all fits together but it's not fitting together exactly the way that you're assuming but you're locked in on your interpretation so I can imagine like Stannis has been shown his battle against Mance Raider and the wildlings which I think is, is the season 4 finale uh, and then you could also imagine him seeing you know the stuff that's happening at the battle in Winter in Winterfell and Melisandre is going to talk about that as well where she's going to talk to Jon Snow about like I saw you there on the great battle and so she probably has seen that like the Stark forces win but she confuses it for Stannis being the champion of that battle but she's wrong on the timing and maybe she sees the the Night King in the thick of all of that as well and she's just like combined all of these images into one big battle where they are all ingredients in the greater recipe of what's being baked in Game of Thrones Um, um, and so Stannis, unfortunately, has been sold on a vision that is um, rooted in truth, but is not quite the sum of the parts that he thinks it is. So when we see Gendry with Melisandre, that why couldn't Melisandre make another smoke baby with Gendry? I feel like that's what she would have preferred. Uh, that seems to me like what she was what she was after, but that really drains Gendry. I guess I don't know uh, the whole mechanics of how all of this works. Is uh, I thought you were rather confusing. You, you, you knew you uh, prayed to the Lord of Light every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you were a red I priest. I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, no, my brother is the is the one with the top knot. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's it's confusing. Uh, and then like the question is like, do you want to assign the upcoming deaths of Joffrey and uh, and Balon Greyjoy and Rob to the leeching, or like were they all getting what was coming their way anyway? I subscribe to the second thing, um, but certainly this ritual at least stands as like a, a planted flag ahead of the coming deaths of, of these characters. But Balon Greyjoy, at least on the show is going to die after Stannis. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how, how great were those leeches? Mm-hmm. So you are what you feel like there was a war of the five Kings. A bunch of the Kings are going to die anyway. Yeah, Stannis himself died so that you don't uh, assign a lot of significance to it. And not for nothing to it all, it's all going to happen out of sequence, right? Like, you know, he throws Rob's name in as the first leech. Okay, check. Rob is going to die first. But then he tosses in Balon Greyjoy, and then he tosses in Joffrey Baratheon, and Joffrey's going to die after Rob. So the numbering's all off. Yeah. So I'm, I'm out on this. I don't think the leeches did anything, so, except for really <laughs> severely traumatized Gendry. Yeah, you don't feel like that maybe that second leech didn't do a good job? Maybe the second leech was a dud and didn't get that much of uh, Gendry blood i would say that second leech should be fired but it already has been mm-hmm. <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah that th- third leech uh, was on uh, gendry's uh, warhammer right third third leech was definitely on gendry's warhammer and uh prematurely exploded <laughs> <laughs> boom yeah, that was that's so gross. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about like the the it's like, like sizzling on the thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gross, so nasty. All right, uh, Josh. Anything else about this week's entry here? The second sons. Not a great name. No, no, not a great name. I mean, I like it because Tyrion is a second son. You know, I think yeah. that it, it, you know, it speaks to what's going on with with him. Um, yeah, and Stannis is a second son as well. In fact, so there's there's meaning here. And as far as some of these episode titles, and, and Samuel Tarly, I believe, is a second son, or is he the older son? He's the Take older son. The, I think you're stretching. Yeah, okay. It, yeah, yeah, okay. I was trying. I was trying. Um, Baby Sam is my '99 son. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they should have called it. Ninety-nine sons. <laughs> second Dario, um, they should have called it. Yeah, second Dario, <laughs> first Dario, first Dario should have been the name of the episode. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Red wedding what, next week. What about two heads what? in a duffel bag? Two heads in a duffel bag. <laughs> yeah, they should have started singing once they rolled out onto the floor. Uh, yeah, Joe Pesci would be a great third Dario. <laughs> That'd be fun. Okay. <laughs> Red Wedding coming up next week. We're laughing now because it's about to get so awful. Mm-hmm. But what's exciting is next week we are able to like start the podcast by uh, saying Rob's dead. Catelyn's dead. They're all dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we don't have to we don't have to like skirt around the issue anymore. We can just get right into it. Get That'll right be into it next week coming up uh, when we talk about season three, episode nine, the reigns of Castamere and every Everything that comes along with that. Josh will tell us if that's the best episode of Game of Thrones. So much next week. So much hype. Yeah, I mean, that has always been my feeling that this is the best episode of Game of Thrones that we're getting into next week. Um, is that hyperbolic? Is that too far? Or is it truly the best episode of Game of Thrones? I'll be really excited to rewatch it because it's been a minute. Um, 
you know, I think for me, like some of the, the things that you need in place to have like a best episode of any show is a show that's really going to encapsulate the essence of what makes you great. And that requires not just like being rooted in one story only, uh, but really showing you different shades of the show, the comedy of the show, the darkness, the drama, uh, the way that they execute uh, a really, um, you know, big sequence, you know, like really staging something. Uh, and and I think that this episode is going to be really thematically rich. It's obviously got the blockbuster moment, but what does it have beyond that? Because there's a lot of material aside from the Red Wedding that is in this episode. Is that all top notch as well? Or does the Red Wedding part just really balance it all out? Um, we'll talk about it all. Very excited to, uh, to get into that episode. I think that that is probably the episode that I am uh, the most excited to discuss uh, of the rewatch up to this point. All right. So we will get into all that on our next episode make sure you don't miss it when you subscribe to our game of thrones podcast feed postshowrecaps.com slash g-o-t itunes we've got fear the walking dead coverage going on right now on postshow recaps and also this week it's the return of our westworld coverage with josh wiggler and joe garfine Yes, that is, uh, I'm very happy about that. Uh, Westworld by now has premiered as you are listening to this. Uh, I hope you guys really loved it. I certainly loved the premiere. I think the second season is off to a really good start. And Joe and I will be having podcast coverage for you imminently with all sorts of crazy theorizing and, uh, off the wall talk. So it's going to be a really fun podcast. Look for that to drop on Thursday of this week and, uh, typically Thursdays moving forward. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for checking this out make sure you follow josh wiggler on twitter he is at round howard for everything that he's writing about for the hollywood reporter we'll be back next week to talk about the very sad red wedding get ready get hyped next week take care everybody have a good one bye bye